Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 26. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 26 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a Senior Content Solutions Architect and a Certified Contentful Professional. Today, I'll be chatting all about iOS development with my guest, Cyro Garcia, an incoming iOS engineer at Pandora Media with over seven years of development experience. But before we get started, if you want more more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles all focus on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Sai, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad to have you. I got into iOS development a while ago, and when I searched on Twitter, you came up because you post a lot on Twitter, and that's how I found out about you, and I'm glad you are here to talk about iOS development. So before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So I've been an indie dev for about seven years now, mainly focusing on iOS development. And I'm currently studying statistics at San Jose State. And yeah, later I'll be starting my career as an iOS engineer with Pandora Media. Are you looking at maybe in the future also expanding your services into Android development or do you want to stick mainly with iOS? It's kind of hard to tell uh, what the future is going to hold. For now, it looks like iOS is holding really strong moving forward, you know, with some of the new frameworks that they're releasing. If I were to move away from iOS, it might be somewhere close to machine learning and AI, especially having the the statistics background that I have. That might be kind of the next path to probably make more sense. Yeah, definitely. Now, how did you get into iOS development? What got you interested in that? Yeah, I think, you know, my story and how I started, it's very similar to how others started. You know, it, it all started from an app idea. You know, I started in high school where... I thought it'd be a cool idea to kind of have some kind of app where students can go and look for uh, any school activities that are happening within our uh, campus, you know, from school activities, school grades, bell schedules, sports schedules, news and all that stuff, all from the app. So I think I just started searching, you know, how to get started. And I kind of went into like just YouTube and just Google some of the most basic things, you know, like creating a button, creating like just a single page on the screen, right? And just went on from there. From YouTube's perspective, do you have any specific people that you liked that really helped you that you want to mention? Since I first started, there has been a number of great content creators out there, you know, starting off with like Sean Allen has a lot of great tutorials. I think he's yeah, a great... Yeah, his stuff is great. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff, especially for beginners. I think he's really good at capturing a lot of good beginners out there. And there's also like some of the more advanced stuff that people uh, go like Paul Hudson is like a well renowned now within the iOS dev community, there's also Mark Moikens from uh, Big Mountain Studios. Uh, there's a bunch more at the top of my head I can't think of right now, but... Yeah, but you said uh, probably the top three that I also know about, definitely. Yeah. Very cool. So how many apps have you written? Because you've been developing, you said, maybe for what, the last seven years, you said? So over the past seven years, I think I've honestly lost count. I think I've published more than 
20 apps. Uh, obviously, they've come and go from the App Store. I think currently now I only have two apps in the App Store currently, but over the span of seven years, I'm sure I've developed and published more than 20 or so. And were most of them free or did you charge for them? Yeah, most of them are free. One of the reasons I also got into iOS, like, I think it's really cool to see uh, p- seeing some of your friends you know, using your apps. And I feel like having that like price tag is kind of a barrier for some people. So, you know, just seeing people using my apps already is enough to make me smile, you know, so I'm not in it for the money per se. So uh, yeah, just seeing people use my app, I think that's really cool. So I keep it free. Plus it becomes a really good portfolio piece, right? So you can get hired at a company if that's one of your goals. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, that's one of the main factors that I think that's separating me from other candidates when applying to Pandora. So yeah, I think it does work out in the long run. Right, right. So it's highly recommended to just create apps, basically. Just create apps and, you know, apply the things that you're learning in any tutorial that you are watching. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's jump into the actual technical side of iOS development here. And let's start with the iOS tech stack. Maybe you can explain what is the iOS tech stack? Yeah. So the the tech stack has grown a lot over the recent years. Initially, like if you were to ask me this question, like five or six years ago, the only thing we'd be really talking about is UIKit and AppKit. UIKit for your iOS and iPad apps and AppKit for your Mac apps. We now got the Apple Watch and the App Store is now introduced to the Apple TV. So we got new frameworks coming in. So if you want to build apps for the Apple Watch, you would use WatchKit and TV. If you want to build apps for the Apple TV, you would still use UIKit. So those are the three main frameworks that you're going to be working with. iOS for iPhone, iPad, and tvOS. AppKit for Mac apps and WatchKit for your Apple Watch apps. And they're all very similar in some ways. They kind of build on top of each other. So in terms of like syntax, in terms of like the paradigm or in the philosophy of how things are being updated, it's very similar. Okay, so those are the SDKs that you used to build, as you mentioned, iOS, AppKit, and what was the third one you said? WatchKit. And WatchKit, right? So those are the SDKs. Now below the SDKs, we have the actual languages, right? And I know there is Objective-C and Swift. Why don't you start by telling us the difference between Objective-C and Swift, and then which language can you use to code using those three SDKs we just mentioned? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Swift and Objective-C are going to be the, are still the primary languages that you'll be using to develop any app for any of those platforms I just mentioned. So you can use either Swift or Objective-C, or you can use both. And the main difference between the two, if you look at it from a high-level perspective, if you were to look at Swift code and Objective-C code kind of side-by-side, you'll notice that Swift, it's syntactically less demanding than Objective-C because Objective-C is based off the C language. So Objective-C has all the good things that you like or hate about C, right? So it's syntactically much more demanding than Swift. From a lower level, Swift is a much more, uh, it's an easier language to read. It's simpler. It's also considered to be a type safe language because of optionals, optional handling, optional chaining. One of the most common issues that a lot of programmers run into is handling nils, right? So when a nil comes through, what do you do? And most programs would crash at some point, right? And Swift kind of has a really elegant way of handling that. When used right, your code should not crash because of a nil. Swift gives you that flexibility to be able to handle those things. 
protocols is also like a really cool feature in Swift. They're like interfaces in Java. They're much more powerful in that you can apply them to not just classes, but you can also apply them to like structs, enums. You can even use them in extensions. So you can even create default implementations of the methods that you created in those protocols. And Swift also embraces the idea of functional programming. And that's evident in the standard library with all the built-in functions like map, filter, reduce, sort, and all that functions. And lastly, I think, you know, Swift, it's a modern language. It was introduced in 2014. So it's still a fairly new language. And there's almost every year, there's like new versions of Swift with new features that are coming along. So they're still improving Swift over time. And you know, one of the most notable features that came out of you know the recent iterations of Swift is like property wrappers, I think is really cool. The idea that you can essentially inject logic into your properties, I think is pretty cool. I haven't found a good use case for it yet, but in just the idea itself, I think it's really cool. So yeah, those are the main differences. And you, again, you can use either language to develop in any of these uh, platforms. But it sounds like if you're really going to get into iOS development, Swift is the way to go and not Objective-C. It seems like Apple's pushing that heavily for everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Swift is a much easier language, so it's definitely a lot friendlier, especially for beginners. It's such an elegant language to work with. So, yeah, if you're going to get started in iOS, Swift is probably a good start. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I remember when I first got into trying to do iOS development, it was only Objective-C, and I just didn't get it. It just, for some reason, I just couldn't connect with it. And then after Swift came out years later, I think a couple of years ago, or you know, a year and a half ago, I wrote an app in Swift and I, I literally got it and it just made total sense. It's clean. Now there's also sort of a trend for Swift to move to the backend, right? Sort of server side Swift, I think. Yeah, Swift is making its way and not just from like, you know, the front end side of things, but yeah, server side. So that's, it's really fun. It's really exciting to see like how much Swift has evolved over the years since it first introduced in 2014, I believe. If I'm not mistaken, please correct me if I'm wrong, but is Swift open source, right? Didn't Apple make it open source or am I mistaken in that? Yeah, it is open source. So that's kind of the reason why like Swift is evolving so fast, right. I think, is because it is open source. And you can actually go to the website, uh, is it swift.org? And you can see some of the evolutions and some of the discussions that are being made. Uh, you know, what kind of features are we trying to like add for the next iteration? What kind of problems are we trying to solve? Now, unlike other languages, JavaScript, Java, where you can use any IDE you want, basically with Swift and with iOS, there's only one, correct, that you have to use. Yep. So no matter what, I think you are going to be stuck with Xcode. Xcode is going to be your best friend, whether you like it or not. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, you have no choice. I mean, you know, Xcode has, you know, gotten a lot of like stuff over the years. Some people have issues with it, but overall, I think it's a good IDE. I mean, yeah, it does have its pitfalls, but like for the most part, it gets the job done. It's good. It has all the things that you need. It's fast for the most part, you know? Yeah. And everything's built in for you. I think that's one of the things that's really attractive about iOS is that compared to other platforms, when you develop, you know, Xcode has everything that you need to build an app. You don't need any kind of like other dependencies or other like frameworks or other applications to run stuff. Everything's there for you. That could be a good thing. You know, that could be a bad thing in some cases. It just makes life simpler for the developer, I think. Right. Of course. And like you said, there's positives and negatives and everything, but also 
One of the negatives is going to be that, as you mentioned, Xcode is the only IDE, but it only runs in Mac. So if you're a Windows developer, you're going to need a Mac, correct? Yeah, so that's one of the things that I'm very critical about, you know, within the whole profession is that it's kind of hard, especially for low-income families to, you know, kind of start in the iOS field because you do need to invest in some really expensive equipment. I mean, a base Mac is not cheap and you also need an iPhone and all that, but that's the reality of it. Right, right. Even if you get into a Mac mini and the cheapest iPhone, you're still, it's a sizable investment, but it's still an investment. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Okay. So let's jump into a little bit more of the details. There is the Swift UI and UI kit. UI kit was prior to Swift UI. Can you explain what those are? First of all, and where is the future headed towards? Yeah, so SwiftUI was introduced last year. So SwiftUI is a Apple's UI framework for developing user interfaces for apps. And the cool thing about SwiftUI, it's one framework where you can create UI that would work for pretty much all Apple platforms. So there's no learning curve. If you want to develop some app for the Apple Watch, you don't need to learn the watch kit framework as much. You just have to learn how to write Swift UI and that code will essentially work pretty much across all Apple platforms. It's a declarative type of programming. So there's a different way of thinking about how you write your code. So I guess that's one of the big differences between Swift UI and UI kit. Yeah, UI kit is still fairly prominent now in a lot of apps. Uh, Swift UI is still fairly new, so there's still a lot of limitations. What you can do, in my opinion, I've worked with Swift UI a little bit. And if you know anything about me, about how I develop my apps, I like to customize every component down to the bone. You know? And Swift UI, it's a little bit complicated to customize stuff the way you want it as of now. So I tend to shy away from developing anything in production with SwiftUI. And UIKit is more visual, right? So you do a lot more in building it visually versus programming it, correct? Yeah, everything is programmatically written in SwiftUI, but you can see the changes that you make in real time. So that's the cool thing about it because it's declarative. You know, you type something out, you'll see it on your screen immediately it's easy to customize and yeah developing your ui like if you're just developing basic ui it doesn't take much code to do so some of the things that you want to do you kind of have to get a little hacky as of now you know swift ui is still fairly new there's still new changes that have to come when it comes to developing ui with ui kit there's two ways of doing that you can use storyboards or programmatic UI and yeah, storyboards is a drag and drop type of experience. So you can, you have a canvas that you can work with and you can literally just drag and drop some stuff there and design your UI there. Some caveats, or you can do it solely programmatically without even looking at storyboards, creating your labels and positioning them using constraints and things like that. It's a lot more complicated to do stuff with UIKit just to create like a simple page to work compared to SwiftUI because SwiftUI kind of does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. You just tell it, what do you want? Where do you place it? That's it. With UIKit, there's a lot more customization that comes along with a lot of boilerplate code that you have to go into, especially if you're working with constraints and all that stuff. So would you recommend that somebody that wants to create an app to publish today, they stick with UIKit versus SwiftUI? Yeah, take this with the grain of salt. You know, I've only worked with SwiftUI, not as much as you know, others. I know a lot of people have developed stuff with SwiftUI and are able to publish stuff in the app store. But for me personally, I don't like to ship code that's, you know, really janky or like 
hacky, you know. So, and in my experience working with Swift UI, that's kind of how it felt like, you know, creating some really customized user interfaces. It felt really hacky at this stage of the state of Swift UI now. And also it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to get into the market and trying to look for a job in iOS development, it might be in your best interest to get, be familiar with UIKit than Swift UI because UIKit is still the main framework that's being used in a lot of these companies. Again, Swift UI is just new. It, it just came out last year. So it's kind of hard to for some companies to adopt that immediately, especially given its limitations. Well, and I think also if you go with Swift UI, you're going to limit your audience to a certain iOS version. I don't know which one it is, a 13 or 12, but there's a certain version that below that the app won't run, correct? Yeah, that's a good point too. I think Swift UI only works with iOS 13 and above. So if you want to support devices like iOS 12 and below, I don't think that's going to work. Right, right. That's another thing to consider. Yeah, to keep in mind is your audience and the general availability of your app to to those people. We talked about the languages, we talked about the SDKs, and you did mention that we have a bunch of devices and you have three SDKs. Can you use Swift to write for all those? And can you write an app that could be used across all devices, sort of write ones, publish everywhere? Yeah, so you can definitely use Swift to write in any of these platforms. But in terms of publishing one app and publishing that everywhere, this time you can't do that. There's a lot of limitations, you know, from not only in hardware, but also like the software side of things. Obviously, there's a lot of limitations between like the iOS and watch kit, right? Some features may work well on the iPhone. It may not work as well in terms of like the user experience. It may not be as intuitive on the Apple watch. So the experience is going to be different. Each device offers something different to the user. So it also kind of doesn't make sense to develop one app published to all devices. It may not work in terms of the user experience side of things. It may not be feasible. Right. And that's maybe where architecting your code come in handy, where you can start separating concerns and have functions that take care of data and then different versions of your UI screen that can degrade properly depending on the device, right? But then you're still reusing some of the other code for accessing data, for manipulating data, that kind of stuff. Yeah, in that case, yeah, you can certainly reuse a lot of the same code, like a lot of the business logic and apply them across all platforms. There might be some frameworks that's only available on one platform may not be available on the other. I can't think of an example of that right now, but I think most frameworks will work across platforms. For instance, if you want to add some machine learning features into your app, you can certainly develop your own framework that uses core ML or vision or natural language and apply that business logic in any platform from there. Yeah. So there's some caveats to that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what are your thoughts on other types of frameworks outside of iOS, like for example, Flutter, React Native, which I believe allow you to not only create iOS apps, but also like Android apps, right? Yeah. So I'm definitely open to the idea, you know, of hybrid apps like Flutter, React Native. They're really cool tools. I think they really do solve a real problem within the mobile development industry. You know, yeah, having two code bases, one for iOS and one for Android can be really expensive for the business, right? It could be really slow for some teams to kind of move at the same pace 
you know, given the software limitations that each platforms may have. Yeah, so that is definitely an issue that, you know, hybrid apps is effective in solving. But also there's also technical limitations to hybrid apps, right? Like for instance, iOS and Android both have unique features that's only available to that specific uh, domain. So take machine learning as an example. You know, Cormel has grown a lot over the past uh, recent years. You know, Cormel is Apple's machine learning library where developers could apply their own machine learning models and apply them onto their iOS apps. If you want to add some kind of like machine learning features like that in a hybrid app, you may be able to do it, but then you would have to work with, you know, native tech at that point and your entire code base could slowly build into something really complex, right? That, that eventually becomes really hard to manage. And you're going to try to maybe want to duplicate that in Android. You're probably going to be using a different machine learning framework to enable that same type of machine learning features, right? So I guess that's where the technical limitation comes in. I've seen some companies who are able to do it successfully. I think Khan Academy recently shared a blog post about the success in migrating from native apps to hybrid apps. And that's kind of the issue that they are addressed is it's really slow to kind of get features published at the same time for both platforms. It's really expensive to maintain those two code bases. So yeah, there's definitely a place, I think, you know, hybrid apps within the mobile dev industry. But, you know, just like any other frameworks, there's always pros and cons that you have to consider. And I guess you just have to pick your poison, I guess, right? <laughs> right, right. No, it makes sense. And I'm assuming if you need to be on the latest and greatest, for example, on iOS 14, APR SDKs, you probably with these, you're going to be behind, right? Because they would have to update their app framework to take into consideration all the new stuff as well. Oh, yeah. From a technical uh, standpoint, yeah, that's definitely an issue. And also from the user experience point of view, you know, I, I think Flutter and React Native kind of embraces Google's material design philosophy. So if you're going to bring your hybrid app to iOS with the material design layout, it could alienate some of your users, your iOS users, because that's not going to look familiar to them, right? I mean, obviously, you can customize it and stuff. But uh, that's also something to consider. Now, I could be wrong. I don't know about Flutter, but I thought with React Native, the whole goal of that one was going to be where it would look native to whatever device you are sending that app to. But I could be wrong in that. I haven't touched React Native in a while. So the last time I use it, that's kind of the impression that I got. So I, I could be wrong in that. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get emails either way, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fine. No problem. Sounds good. Now, how do we, and I know you're not a contentful developer, but I know you've done your research as well. How can you get data from contentful into an iOS app or can you? Yeah, you definitely can. And there's actually two ways of doing it. One, there's an actual Swift framework that you can import via CocoaPods. So that's really cool. You can use the Contentful uh, API and apply that into your code base to retrieve data there. Or you can simply create a network request and just pull network requests and parse the information right there and you're golden. You know, so it's really simple to use, you know, just that one API call, get that data. I see. So it becomes basically Contentful now becomes just another data source for the iOS app. Essentially, yeah. Right, right. And you said it's either through the SDK or directly through the REST API, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So in an app, you usually have to design your front end and you have your back end. What's your relationship with the designer? Yeah, so designers play a big role in the whole software development cycle, right? A lot of people think, you know, designers just 
make things pretty and artful, right? But no, like designers actually solve problems that developers tend to be blinded by. So giving you the insight on how would users be using your app and how can your app be more accessible is really important. So you always want to have that open relationship with them and always being mindful that they have a unique perspective that could only make your app better, right? Yeah, and it's also not just UI, but it's also UX, right? It's not just how it looks, but that that entire experience, right? Of how many clicks do you have to go through before you get to a certain place? How do you present big, small, right, context? Exactly, yeah. Again, you know, they solve the actual problems the app is supposed to solve, right? And the UX part and the UI part, you know, those are things that we tend to shy away from in terms of like trying to understand the logic behind why this button is placed here and how should the users be interacting with this. We tend to be blinded by that because of how tech savvy we are. And we know how to hold our own when presented a new piece of like software and we're trying to learn how to use it. We, you and I could technically like go through that whole thing, be able to understand that pretty quickly. But for the general user, that might not be the case, right? And the job of the UI UX designer is like to help give us that insight. Yeah, that makes total sense. We're pretty close to the end, Sai. I really thank you for sharing your knowledge here. One last question, somebody that wants to get into iOS development today, and they're already a developer, what's that one most important thing? I mean, there's a thousand things to consider, right? But if you could filter down to the most important thing to know before you jump into iOS development is? Yeah, so yeah, I thought about this a lot. The one of the things from a technical perspective, all you really need to know is like your basic object-oriented programming concepts. And like just a Swift language or Objective-C, whichever one you want to choose, preferably Swift. <laughs> Those are really the only things that you need. And then obviously, you know, a Mac using Xcode, knowing your way around using Xcode. Yeah, those are really the main things that you have to know to get into this space. Perfect. So Swift, 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 Swift. Swift, Swift, Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sai, thank you so much for sharing the knowledge with the community. We really appreciate you joining me here today in the podcast. Of course. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. It was really fun speaking with you. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, I know you're very active in Twitter. Yeah, that, that's the best way to keep in touch. I'm very active on Twitter. I talk to everyone there. So you can follow me at underscore by Cyro. And yeah. And we'll put it on our show notes as well. So Sai, thank you so much. And to the rest of you, I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. Cheers, everybody. Oh, 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 o